Hello and welcome to the program. I'm Susie Jones with you for the next hour along with Peg Webb and Chris Armstrong. Reminding you, if you have a financial question for today's speakers, you can always call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The number is one eight 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 six advice You can also email your questions to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. You can also text or call our studio line at 651-461-9226 at any point during the next 50 minutes, 5-0. Now here is... Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor, Peg Webb. Hello, Peg. Good morning, Susie. How are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? Good. I'm actually hoping, do you remember last week we did Ask Peg Anything? Yes, that was fun. And the calls and the texts were just coming in rampant, which Mm -hmm. I just loved. And I'm hoping that today the same thing happens because I've got a super great guest. Chris Armstrong. Chris is our senior portfolio consultant. So he's been in the investment world here uh, since 1997, so a long time, specializing in asset allocation, portfolio construction, and investment analysis. He actually partners with teams like mine all across the USA uh, to provide education, guidance, investment recommendations for clients. He actually has the Chartered Financial Analyst Um, certificate, which is really hard to get. So uh, congratulations there, Chris. And then another designation is CAIA, which has to do with alternatives and being a specialist in that as well. Chris is actually out of our Atlanta office. And I don't know if I mentioned that a couple weeks ago when you were on, Chris, but welcome today. Well, good morning and, and thank you for having me on. Excited to be here. Yeah, so today, you know what we thought, um, and actually this is uh, our company-driven topic, because we're getting a lot of uh, questions now. Uh, The market is a little bit volatile, but we wanted to do a show called The Case for Stocks. What's interesting is um, they gave us a statistic that 4 in 10 Americans have no money at all um, invested in the stock market. So we thought today we would talk about Why is that, and why should folks consider owning stocks over the long term? So what I thought, Chris, we would do is um, just start with a really basic question. What is stock? Like, what is the definition of a stock? Well, good question. I even kind of, at one point in my career, asked myself the same question. Like, wait, what exactly is a stock? It's kind of a strange uh, topic when you think about it, but essentially it's fractional ownership you know, or interest in a company. And with that, you have claims to the underlying assets and earnings, dividends, et cetera. So um, historically, you know, stocks have have been some of the best uh, long-term performers of, you know, any asset class, Uh, you know, relative to bonds over the long-term, there's been roughly a 4% return advantage. That's often referred to, often referred to as the equity risk premium might have seen that in academic literature. Uh, the keyword there is risk, though. Um, when you invest in stocks, there is substantial risk involved, of course, with potential reward, too. But they are subject to significant price changes in the short term, So, and particularly on the downward side. And I think that's what we've been watching um, uh, recently. So I'm purchasing you know, any asset, whether it's stocks or a house, whatever, your, your purchase price 
but your point of entry will always be sort of the most, you know, have a very significant influence upon your, you know, ultimate success, you know, as an investor. And so when you're thinking about buying, you know, shares in a company, uh, common stock, or, you know, if you're buying a mutual fund or an ETF or exchange traded fund, again, that, that contains several stocks, you should be concerned about current earnings, uh, the potential for future earnings, the recent performance and valuations. So historically, companies that can consistently grow their earnings over time are often rewarded with a higher stock price. You know, uh, Amazon's a great example of that. But another thing, too, is that stocks will generally trade on the promise of earnings. And what you can see, too, is that money-losing companies also can raise in price as their uh, earnings prospects improve. That was kind of – oh, go ahead. Oh, please go ahead, Peg. The one thing I was going to say, sorry to jump in, but I have to tell you, you know, years ago and lots of years ago, it didn't make sense to me that the stock market is really an anticipatory mechanism. And you just said that. You said a lot of times stocks will actually be forward of their price earnings or, you know, profits that they have today. I think that makes it difficult for investors. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, stocks are um, are somewhat confusing. There's sort of there's a lot of logic involved, but there's also a lot of emotion. Um, ultimately, you know, their prices they're set by supply and demand, just like anything else you buy on a, on a regular basis. And that underlying sort of supply and demand um, is a function of a lot of things. It can be in terms of trends in the market. Uh, it can be geopolitical events, which we've seen lately, of course. Uh, the general state of the economy, if it's booming or if it's slowing down, of course, that's going to impact the, the supply and demand for the underlying stocks or the industries within. But also there's there's hype. You know, people get excited about certain things. You have the Internet mania. You had all the COVID-related stocks. And people get super excited and over-purchase things sometimes. But, and also, ultimately, there's a lot of emotion in the stock market in general and in essentially embedded in the prices of underlying securities. So, yes, it's it's always an exciting uh, challenge to try to figure out what exactly is going on in the stock market. Well, so we have almost 40% of the people that actually kind of avoid stocks. What would be some of the reasons that people just totally avoid them? Um, well, outside of maybe not having the money to do so, um, a lot of people think it's rigged against are stacked against sort of the individual or the retail investor. So obviously the big institutions get all the favorable pricing and, and the little people get kind of cut out. Um, but, you know, a lot of people just don't understand stocks. And I think that is tough. I think it's a little bit easier today because there's a lot more information available. Um, and I think historically, you know, there are people that are just more comfortable with safe investments, bank accounts, you know, CDs, certificates of deposit, government bonds, right? The things that just basically don't lose money. Um, and, you know, essentially people are risk averse. They're afraid of negative outcomes. And, and with that, too, one of the sort of final reasons would be they're concerned about the volatility or the, the uncertainty. Well, that would be right now, right? I mean, we're going yeah. through this unsettling time. And maybe you talk a little bit about the current uh, stock market. Sure. Um, well, there's been a lot of I guess, activity over the last couple of years. Obviously, right now we're watching uh, things sort of move downwards, selling off. So, you know, unfortunately, it's, it, maybe it's not the best thing for your health to watch the stock market on a daily basis. It might drive you crazy. But if you kind of go back a couple of years, think about 
what happened with COVID, the economy, um, economies, once COVID hit, economies were sort of, you know, shut down worldwide, um, consumer spending halted, um, and then, of course, the stock market, uh, you know, went down pretty sharply, about, you know, maybe 30, 33% in the U.S., and then, of course, um, governments reacted, they enacted stimulus. You know, with that, what happened? Well, then there was more certainty about the future. Again, talking about sort of the, the anticipation of events. Once there's sort of certainty, people are more comfortable. And so those that stimulus really helped rebound um, the economy and people's um, perceptions. Of course, spending came back and stock market um, rebounded strong. And then, of course, that continued into 2021, which was a really, really, really strong year and, um, you know, hit market highs all year long. And here we are in 2022. So we have inflation at a 40-year high. Some of that inflation is the result of that stimulus spending, uh, which we've mentioned previously uh, on other calls. Um, interest rates, they're going up, including mortgage rates. I think everyone's noticing that, as well as they're noticing um, higher gas prices, which isn't always fun to talk about. We're probably all tired of thinking about it. But yeah, they're near you know $5 a gallon in, in, a, in a lot of uh, regions of the country. And then, of course, there's the supply chain issue, which really don't appear to be getting any better, and potentially there's uh, room for them to get worse. Whatever's happening in China now in terms of um, you know lockdowns, of course, will have a spillover effect here, and that will take you know months for it to manifest. But And then finally, consumer sentiment is at a 10-year low currently. So all those things combined sort of spell you know, not-so-great news for uh, the stock market in the near term. So here we are. We're at a time frame when I really watch this consumer sentiment. I feel like, and I and I don't necessarily have to watch it because I'm talking to clients every single day, and I can I can sense that there's they're worried at this point. Now, what I do tell them in their reviews, and it actually kind of um, calms them, if you will. Last year was an unbelievable year. And you just mentioned that 2021 was off the charts. So the stock market did so good. Is it, this is what I tell clients. We are giving some of that back. You know, you can't just go straight up without some corrections. And I just already mentioned this show that that market is an anticipatory mechanism. And now it's kind of shifting gears because it's like, what's going to come up? What's going to come up next? What's going to come up? And it's kind of running against the wall, so we're retracting, which is common. But let's talk about the flip side, the history of the stock market and why you would want to um, participate if you're a long-term investor. Give us some of the opportunity side versus the bad news. Sure. Well, what I mentioned, what I mentioned earlier, sort of like your entry points, very important in terms of valuation and if you're holding for the long term, that has a big impact, of course on your, you know, uh, total return. So um, when there's volatility and when there's a lot of, you know, um, negative sentiment in the market, there's also, again, promise for strong returns going forward. So again, the markets sometimes oversell based on emotion. So sometimes that's a very good time to to think about investing and moving forwards. And so um, based, on, um, based on research, when investors are sort of the least optimistic or the most bearish, as it's called, on stocks, it's generally a great time to own stocks. And you think about going forwards uh, based on the study, one month later, you know, returns are about 2%. When you go from three months out to 12 months out, your returns 
One year later, or your expected returns are about, or forward-looking returns are about seven percent up to twenty percent. And again, stock, you know, um, sort of capital growth sort of movement cycles are longer than these three months and twelve months periods. They can be um, several in in, in totality. And uh, if you look at sort of the S P five hundred over over the long term, again, the S P five hundred, S P five hundred is of course a great broad representation of the U S market. You know, stocks have always overcome all sorts of obstacles through the year, and then subsequently recover to, you know, generally all-time highs. And uh, those things can be an oil embargo in the 1970s. You can have 9-11. You can have um, the financial crisis and, of course, um, most recently COVID. And so just keep that in mind that, yes, things look bad. Market sells up. Ultimately, though, it rebounds. And when you think about uh, owning stocks over the long term, we go back way long in time, back including market data from the 19th, late 1920s, starting in 1929. You know, essentially, investors are rewarded for owning stocks because 75% of the time uh, you have positive annual returns. And you can slice and dice the data in terms of quarterly or monthly, but ultimately, stocks generally go up more than they go down. So if you look at it on an annual basis, look at it on a quarterly basis, it's anywhere from 67 to 73 to 75 percent of the time, stock market returns are positive relative rather than uh, negative. It's kind of interesting, Chris, though, it, and it's very difficult as a human being to do the opposite what the herd is doing. I learned that two decades ago. Like what, you know, if, if sentiment is down and everybody thinks it's going to be terrible, that's actually the time you're supposed to buy. But man, is that hard to do, right? You're just hearing all the negative news. But then statistically, historically, don't know about the future. It's always been a place that um, has rewarded, especially our clients. And I can say with friends and family, everybody's been rewarded. The um, the other thing is, is there's more good news in, in that most years, like in single years, investors have been rewarded. I know we've been rewarded long term, but I encourage my clients that the worst thing you could do is to get out when the markets are down, because just the percentage, the extra percentage that you have to gain to get back where you were it's like digging out of a really, really deep hole. So you're better off just riding it out. And I have to add this right here and now is that you have a financial plan, that you have an asset allocation, that you can term these stocks as your long-term investment. And that allows our clients to be more calm through times like this because they're like, oh, I don't need that money, you know, anytime soon. But what about these rising interest rates? This is, this is something where we haven't seen for decades, and that's got some anxiety running through people right now because they don't know where to look to see what happens when these rates go up. Sure. Um, yeah, so there's, you know, the Fed has talked about raising rates further from what they've recently done. Um, now, when interest rates rise, essentially bond investors get paid more to own bonds, uh, again, and of course, they're less risky than, than stocks. Um, but like bonds, just think of it, it's a loan. You're lending money to a borrower who's essentially paying back that original loan amount plus interest over a specific time period. So when you think about, let's say, when you look at current rates on bonds, think of that as your expected return. 
We're looking at the 10-year Treasury, uh, which is yielding about 2.9% as of uh, Friday. You know, that's your expected return sort of for a sort of a 10-year holding period. Now, that yield has ranged from anywhere from 5% to 15% during the 1980s and 90s. Again, that's sort of like what we haven't seen rising rates in a long time. Because essentially, they've been coming down from those really significant uh, levels. And so despite, you know, um, the recent rise in rates, bonds generally really don't look very attractive relative to stocks in the near term. And if you're thinking about past rate um, pipes or rate climbing cycles, there's really only one entrance instance in the uh, the last 20 years where the stock market was uh, lower one year out. I believe that was 1994, and in that event, it was generally flat, um, kind of a non-event in terms of uh, of a bad outcome. Yeah, we've got um, we've got a couple minutes here. Uh, let's just talk about the word inflation because that is also all over the news, and then the word recession and how do those intertwine? Sure, um, they don't necessarily intertwine, but it depends on um, other factors. Um, rising rates don't always lead to recessions. But they can. And the, the, the problem is if those rising rates impact economic output and how businesses deploy their capital, and that's when it can have an impact. So we don't know, you know when a recession is going to come. Generally, a long, as long as recession is bad for stocks. But what we do know about recessions is um, three consecutive quarters of negative GDP, gross domestic product growth, officially sort of shows a recession. Um, stocks in general are leading indicators of economic growth. So in other words, they're predictive. You can actually see what's happening in, in someone in real time. And you know, since we're in the digital era now, information is readily available. It's free-flowing. It's rapidly priced into the market. And so that recent stock slump that we're watching is sort of adding to the consensus that um, a recession is coming. So, and how are the Federal Reserve and the government responses? You know, those their responses will likely impact the duration and the severity of a downturn if, in fact, it does come. And so, if the Fed is too aggressive in raising rates, they could stifle growth. That's where you have that impact on, on the economy, and that could trigger a, a recession. Um, and as well, you know, if we do enter a recession, it, it's up to you know if the government enacts policies to stimulate the economy, will those work? Will they be effective? Unfortunately, the, the stimulus has impacted inflation, and so we're kind of living through that right now. But this is what will likely play out in the coming months, and this is something to watch. And you know, regardless of the situation, remember that markets are very resilient. Yes, they trend upwards for a long period of time, but they also tend to rebound very sharply, as is evidenced in recent history in 2009 and most recently in 2020. So like I was saying, keep that in mind. You should definitely tread carefully if you are considering any moves. We'll always caution against market time, but specifically exiting the stock market right now is generally not very good advice. And Chris, I'm so glad you're here today because I feel like it's very timely and I'm hoping that listeners are thinking about questions to ask about the markets because we have this specialist, the senior portfolio consultant with us today. Tons of experience since 1997 has been through good markets, bad markets. And so Susie, uh, let's uh, mention again the numbers and get listeners involved. Very good. It is 651-461-9226 if you have a question about 
the information that you are listening to today. You can ask that question via text or you can actually call as well and we'll put you on the air at 651-461-9226. And we have just about uh, a minute or so until our break. One question I had for you is when you're talking about a recession, and maybe we'll have time to answer it on the other side along with other texts, what does a recession look like for the consumer? I mean, we understand the stock market and losing money, but we know inflation affects our pocketbook. How does a, re- a recession affect our daily living? So, again, the number is 651-461-9226. We've already got a number of text questions pegged, and we're taking some calls right now, and we'll put them on hold. And when we come back, we can answer those calls, and we can answer the text. How does that sound? I love that. And take advantage of Chris Armstrong, senior um, portfolio consultant, being with us today because – You don't have to ask Peg everything. I've got a great person here, Chris, that's going to answer some of these questions. But you can ask other questions as well Yes, if that's what you'd like to do, and we will accommodate you. That is wonderful. Again, the number is 651-461-9226. Welcome back. Susie Jones with you. Peg Webb, if you have a financial question for today's speaker, Chris, Armstrong, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is one eight 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 six advice You can also email your questions to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. And for the next 25 minutes, you can actually call us live right now at 651-461-9226. Again, 651-461-9226. Now here once again is... Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor, Peg Webb. Welcome back, Peg. Thank you, Susie. What a day. It's a great day to have Chris Armstrong, who's a Senior Portfolio Consultant with Wealth Enhancement Group. He's actually out of our Atlanta office, and if, if there's listeners out there they may not know, we're expanding. We're acquiring a lot of offices nationally from coast to coast, East Coast, West Coast. And I love, Chris, getting uh, other other consultants advice and perspective on what's happening with the market. So today we're talking about the case for stocks and sounds like we've got some callers and tech. So let's go with that, Susie. All right. Very good. We have Tom on the line with a question for both of you, Tom, go ahead. You are on with both Peg and Chris. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I uh, flipped a house in the past and we're looking at doing it again. The only trick is obviously the market's changing right now, and this house that we want to buy is affordable. There's absolutely nothing on the market, but it's, it's wholesale. So I buy the house from from the guy who's selling it, and he's buying it from someone who's just trying to unload it. And so the only concern, or I'm scared about not being able to do the typical inspections and whatnot, because if, if the original buyer knows uh, that he's just flipping it, then she won't sell it to him. So kind of stuck like it seems like a really good deal obviously as long as the foundation's not falling in but my brother being a realtor also was saying it's the worst time possible to take a potential gamble like this I wanted to get your thoughts so um, Chris any thoughts on that well um, as I mentioned earlier entry points kind of important and where you are in the cycle I think too I do think um, real estate's pretty frothy right now, and I just think 
the most important thing to consider is are you willing to be able to uh, deal with the consequences if it doesn't if you're not able to unload it. That's the problem about real estate. It's a very long-term investment. It's very, very illiquid. It's one thing when um, housing markets moving fluidly, but when things slow down, that's when uh, things can get a little scary. And so I think that's just the most important thing to, to figure out is are you really comfortable with, with moving forward with that decision, given that there's a lot of risk and a lot of those risks are most likely at this point to the downside, you know, yeah, I, I would agree with everything that you said there, Chris. And I think, you know, we're talking about a business here. You know, you're flipping houses. You're trying to make profits. You win some, you lose some. Sounds like you're surrounded with knowledgeable people to help coach you on whether you should do this or not do this. Um, and I feel like I agree with you, Chris, in that right now you mentioned frothy which kind of means that you believe that real estate is a little bit high right now. And for flippers, the only thing I can really relate to is there of recent was the 0809, right? People just kept buying and buying and buying. And then all of a sudden we had an event and it dropped dramatically. So um, as a, as a financial advisor, I would like to know that you can withstand that loss if indeed, or you have to carry it a lot longer than you thought, and that it wouldn't change what's important to you. Is it going to upset your long-term goals? You know, weigh those percentages, because Chris just said he thinks that the percentage is higher in risk than gain kind of white right at this point of time. Susie? Okay, very good. We'll go to some text questions now. This writer, this person writes, I'm 64 years old, retired. I have 470000 in a ro- in a rollover IRA and a Roth combined. I don't plan to take any until I turn 72. I've lost about $100,000 on paper in the last couple of months. Should I leave my portfolio alone? At least I would hopefully make back that 100000 that I've lost. This is a, that's probably a question that a lot of people right now at that particular spot are feeling, right? Because it does not feel fun if you actually see the number on the piece of paper on your statement. Yeah. First of all, I want to thank the texter for telling us about what your long-term, you know, uh, needs are for this money. So if you're 64 and you, you can wait all the way till 72, which is the required minimum distribution age. And by the way, the IRS forces you to take money out at 72. It doesn't mean you have to spend it. I feel like everybody who talks to me, including my clients, they say, oh, at 72, I got to take this money out. Well, what you do have to do is you have to share some of that withdrawal with the IRS, right? Because it comes tax, it becomes taxable at that point. But many, many, many of our clients reinvest the net proceeds after they pay the IRS. So then you can even think in longer terms of being in the stock market. So, Chris, would you like to comment on um, the the texter's uh, situation? Yeah, I, I think, well, you covered a really great point there in terms of uh, um, what to do with the proceeds. And I think, you know, I think the texter sort of established what his goal is. It's still a longer term um, horizon. And so I think the most important thing is to stick with your plan unless you really have a a significant expense where you need to withdraw. It's generally uh, best to stay with your plan, assuming your conditions have stayed the same. And um, the last thing I want to do is make a knee-jerk reaction to a loss because then 
ultimately it's going to be even harder to um, to gain that back later on by whatever sort of investment decision you make. I think the most important thing is to stick with your plan. The other thing, Chris, just to add one more thing, Susie, is I feel like people get in this all or nothing mode where when you when they're talking about the 470,000, it's like, should I get it all out of the stock market or should I get it or stay all the way in? So what we're doing is we're making sure that clients are comfortable that their needs for the next three years for income are in something that's more safe and that we don't have to sell a stock for people to live in the next three years. Why three years? Well, just historically, if we do go through a recession and the stock market downturn, historically, we've been back, you know, within three years. I think the furthest, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, is four years out. So when we're talking about distributions and and making sure that we have a safe place to take the money from, that's the time frame um, that we we look at. And then once again, I feel like all people are all or nothing. I'm just going to sell it all and get out because that's emotional. And we went through that with that COVID March of 2020 downturn. Now, to me, that was completely different because it was so health related and wealth related. So I feel like emotions were even higher at that point in time. Now, I've been in this for a long time. That was probably the most heightened time. And I'm actually kind of have goosebumps right now where it was the, the health of my clients and their wealth combined in a very emotional time. So we did a lot of convincing of clients to stay in if they didn't need the money because we felt like there was such a huge sell-off and it did benefit them um, by staying in. Susie? Yeah, Peg, and along those lines, you mentioned earlier a couple different times, recession. And Chris, you answered it, I think, recession is three consecutive declines of GDP. Uh, Is that mm -hmm. right? Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah, that's the textbook. Yeah, well, you know, usually by the time that hits, well, it's already happening on a day-to-day -day basis, but that's the classic sort of academic, you know, government statistic viewpoint of it. But ultimately what recession means is, um, well, first, uh, businesses usually are going to slow their hiring, um, depending on the severity. Um, people may get laid off. Businesses, again, are going to – basically what it means is less money to go around. And so ultimately that feeds into all sorts of things, less money spent on eating out, less money spent on travel and leisure and all sorts of things. And so ultimately that really, and the other thing too, is that if the stock market again, again, goes down alongside it, which generally it will, you understand a lot of people's wealth and well-being is also in their investment portfolios. And so um, ultimately what that means, again, less money to go around, uh, your wealth does go down as a result too, but that does not mean that it stays down. Okay. But in the near term, yes, it just means less spending, less opportunity. All right, we have another. I have, a, I have, I actually have one uh, question for Chris on that. Okay. And, you know, when I do these reviews every single day, there is so much pent up demand about doing things and buying cars, and and I mean, I'm just telling you what I'm witnessing. Um, so isn't it going to take a little something, you know, to get the economy to really fall back? I know we have this mental feeling of, oh, I'm wor what worth this today. And yes, we're going backwards, but
But once again, I'm reminding my clients that we're just back to evaluation of last year. And by the way, when I did your review last year, you were super happy. You know, I know you're happier when you gained even more money, but we were able to do all the things you wanted to do and create income for life based on the valuations a year ago. So uh, what would you say to that, Chris? Yeah, well, I think it, it's it's a good point. Like, yeah, markets retract. Yes, we're back to you know original levels, um, you know, of a year ago. But again, we we probably overshot, and so I think historically what happens is uh, markets you know consolidate and then ultimately regroup and and come back stronger. And, but in terms of a recession, yes, we could just have slowed economic activity. But again, that does not mean the world's going to end. It does not mean that 1929 is going to happen again. I think a lot of people equate recession with the Great Recession. And ultimately, a lot of cases, um, you know, what causes a very severe recession? And a lot of times, it's the external shocks to the system. It's the the black swan events, the things that we can't really anticipate. And you know, ultimately, I think people need to you know go about their daily lives. And um, but you know, ultimately, yeah, be 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 thoughtful about what you spend and and how you allocate your 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 money and navigate it as the time comes. Susie? Yes. Let's go to another text question. 651-461-9226. We purchased, this is from a texter, 529 plans for our grandkids. The eldest just graduated, and his plan has lost over, I can't think of, it looks like 2,000 in the last quarter. What's your advice on, on using it this fall? Yeah, I can start with that one. Sure. We do a lot of 529 plans. Um, Usually grandparents are interested in, you know, uh, helping their grandchildren for the uh, cost of college because the the amount to pay for college has just skyrocketed over time. Well, when it comes to 529 plans, um, I, I think it's a good idea, you know, to have some growth in the 529s. We um, at Wealth Enhancement Group kind of watch the allocation of equities based on when the need will be. If you're entering the first year, lots of times there's probably four years. A lot of times there's six years worth of um, worth of costs. And if the market's down and they can get resources from somewhere else, it probably would behoove you to wait a little bit. And then um, also, just so you know, if you've got some other grandchildren that are younger than 18, we are looking at those now as well, just saying, should we uh, keep the allocation the way it is? Um, I tend to just, I just want to add this last point. I tend to have the grandparents pay on the back end of college, because when you fill out that FAFSA form, the form that says, do you get anything from the government? or do you get work-study programs or something like that, then it doesn't show up um, until the last years of college. And what I mean by that is the FAFSA form is usually a year or two ahead, and so you don't have to um, count those Roth distributions as part of your um, last year, junior, senior, or if you go beyond um, the four years. Anything to add, Chris, to that? Well, no, that was that was an excellent answer. I guess the only thing I would really add is that um, it's really easy. Again, anytime looking at uh, how the market impacts your dollar amounts in terms of your portfolio, that to be emotional. And I think the most important thing is, like you highlighted, think about all the other implications for your decisions. And sometimes there's a better way around. 
uh, dealing with those, you know, losses in the short term. All right. Do you want to? Yeah, let's take some more text questions and calls at 651-461-9226. You can ask Chris anything this week. Chris, again, a senior portfolio consultant with Wealth Enhancement. One texter writes, Chris, directly to you. Can a person ask to have you as their advisor directly? Do you work individually or are you more uh, on a team? I know that's how Wealth Enhancement works. It's a team basis. But talk about your availability personally. Oh, well, I'm very flattered by that. (laughs) Um, I'm actually not available individually. I'm actually not... um, a registered sort of financial advisor. Um, so ultimately, but you, I am a resource to the um, financial advisors within the WEG network, Wealth Enhancement mm-hmm. Network. So really yeah. my job is to be the liaison between the investment management team and the financial advisors. Yeah, the way that we operate <clears throat> for all the listeners is I'm a financial advisor. Uh, Chris Armstrong is a, a senior um, portfolio consultant. He's actually one of the specialists on our roundtable. So the way that we operate is, yes, the financial advisor has the face-to-face responsibility for the clients that are coded under us. And then believe me, we use, we utilize the resources in our roundtable. That would be investment management, tax planning, you know, um, financial planning, cash flow analysis, all those uh, specialists that we need to make sure that we've um, got, you know, lots of eyes on our particular client and what they should do next. So thank you, Chris, for being part of our roundtable. But unfortunately, he he wouldn't be coded to you, but we certainly would utilize him in an investment strategy. That's great. So he's on the team. 651-461-9226. This person writes, I'm heading into retirement in about a year. What part of the market sh- should our funds be in? Can you talk about that, Peg? <clears throat> yeah, I'll start with that one. So what we're doing now is, of course, everyone out there who has their eyes on retirement on a particular day is sitting there going, what? Why in the world is the market retracting when I've got these plans? Well, hopefully you already have a financial plan and you um, have a cash flow analysis and, and you know where your money is going to come from. Um, but that is always changeable depending on what the markets are doing. So a couple suggestions. Make sure, as I mentioned before, you, you have at least three years worth of safe money sitting there for income that you may want to utilize. Secondly, I am coaching some clients, although people might argue with me, is that in their 401k or 403bs where they're contributing today, but they're just going to go pull money out of their IRA a year from now, you might want to put those deferred savings in like a stable value and count those dollars as some of the first money you would spend. Anything to add to that, Chris? No, I think that was great. Um, You know, ultimately it's hard to tell what's in the portfolio, but I think, yes, it's important. You might have a plan for sort of the accumulation years up until retirement, but I think once you're getting towards retirement, I think it's very important to reassess your situation and have a financial plan for the years going forward. And again, be very, very conservative, you know, about what your, um, what your spending needs are and make sure you, you again, you have ample liquidity. I think that's probably the most important thing to consider. 
because you never know what's going to happen. In life or the market. 651-461-9226. Let's ask you this question. A texter writes, what is a fixed indexed annuity? Please explain. Thank you. Uh, I can take that one. Uh, So insurance companies offer a, a variety of products and one being a fixed index annuity. And what it is, is the company is the insurance company is offering you a fixed rate, but it's based on some type of index. Most commonly is the S&P 500. And what they do in these products is they have a cap on the high side and they have a cap on the low side. So you could get anywhere in between, let me give you an example, it could be a negative three on the low side, and it could be capped at a positive nine on the upside. So you have this kind of spread, depending on how your index does, is then what fixed return they give to you. Now that fixed return after the formula is done is actually something you get to keep. It no longer is variable. It was a positive on your fixed annuity. So that kind of gives you a general idea of what that product's like. But I would say research, research, research. If you're going to purchase one of these, read all the fine detail because they're they're actually quite complicated. Susie? 651-461-9226. We have about a minute left. Maybe we could get this one in real quick. What are you investing in when both bond funds and stock markets are declining? Chris? Uh, great question. Well, generally stay invested, I think. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, you don't want to time the market and go to cash. I think, um, you know, near term, of course, what would help in being in the bond market, being in the short duration, sort of in the shorter shorter maturity and range of the stock market, or excuse me, of the bond market, and then in terms of, of equities, you know, generally what makes sense, um, uh, be more conservative, um, in your investments, maybe uh, a lot of people will gravitate towards, uh, you know, value-oriented stocks, uh, dividend-paying stocks. Um, again, that's sort of in contrast to what we've seen in terms of a growth equity market. But ultimately, um, I would suggest, you know, staying in the market as long as your uh, underlying, you know, life uh, situation hasn't changed. All right. And lastly, Susie, I would just say I'd buy a little bit of both. They're on sale. Okay, very good. Thank you so much. Look forward to next week. Don't forget, if you did not get your question answered, you can call one eight 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 six advice or you can always email your questions to yourmoney at wealthenhancement.com. See you next week, everybody.